Gimlet. This is Reply All. I'm Emmanuel Jochi. And I'm Alex Goldman. And Alex, you and I are joined actually by a new producer who's been working with us for the past couple of months. Her name is Kim Nadefane Peterson. Uh, hello, Kim. Good job, Emmanuel. You pronounced that so well. <laughs> oh, good job on like your last name. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even going to attempt it. I mean, I've said it in the credits like several times now. That's true. So um, I am so excited to be here now because I wanted to talk to you guys about this one idea that I had for a thing that we could do on the show today. Uh-huh. The idea comes from this social media account, and it's called Depths of Wikipedia. And I have spent the last few months just eating this thing up. And I like it so much because I know that Wikipedia can be really dry and kind of like go on forever. Uh, But the person behind this particular account does all of this work to surface the most like obscure, strange, hidden gems in the Wikipedia universe. Um, And I recently had the joy of talking to the person who made this. Okay, I want to I want to start with a question that might be formal, but uh, I like it, which is, can you introduce yourself? My name is Annie Roberta. I am a 22-year-old, and I just graduated from the University of Michigan. And I post um, screenshots from Wikipedia on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And the account is called Depths of Wikipedia. So a couple years ago, when Annie was a sophomore in college and COVID hit, she was spending a lot of time at home. Uh, going through Wikipedia and getting lost in the strangeness that is there. Was there, like, one particular thing that you came across on Wikipedia that made you feel like, I want to share this with the world? (laughs) Like, do you remember what your first post was? Yeah, I was on an article basically about, like, brain-to-body ratios in the animal kingdom. Uh And there was a little animal called the bony-eared assfish, Mm, and it has mm. the, the smallest brain-to-body ratio. So it's just really dumb. And <laughs> it's, it's an ass fish. And it made me laugh. The things that Annie finds, it's like they all open doors into these weird little worlds. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want us to hang out in the depths of Wikipedia. So me and two other producers, Anna and Sonia, we have decided to take our favorite posts and go even deeper. So today on Reply All, we have three stories for you. Cute aggression, the Pittsburgh toilet, and guy standing. That's after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe 
every day at sax.com. Welcome back to the show. Up first, producer Sonia Dasani with Cute Aggression. When I saw that there's actually a Wikipedia article for something called cute aggression, I was immediately like, oh, I think my friend Marie has this. And just for context, Marie's the kind of person who we could be having the most intense conversation, like two-way street of trauma dumping, and then a corgi walks by, and she's completely out of commission. So I called her up. Are you excited to hear what this is about? I'm honestly, like, more nervous than I should be. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no reason to be nervous, but I am. What does the phrase cute aggression evoke for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> it is both my religion, my burden, my obsession. Your pleasure, your pain. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I think probably for as long as I've been sentient, I've had the urge to absolutely drop kick cute things. I like squeeze my hands into a fist. I'm like, oh, I like need to punch something. So yes, Marie has cute aggression. And honestly, that explains so many bizarre things she said. There was this one night when we were at her apartment watching Charlie's Angels, the one with Lucy Liu, obviously. I was snuggling with her cat, Jasper, and she kept saying she wanted to throw his stupid little body against the wall. I want to fucking roll him into a ball and punt him like a football. Like, straight through the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I regularly tell my cats that I want to crush them. And I don't actually, hopefully by this point in the story, you've explained that it's not that I actually want to harm them. It's just that I'm experiencing an overwhelming amount of positiveness that will either come out in tears or in a misplaced emotional desire for aggression. Now, at this point in the story, I should probably explain that it's not that Marie actually wants to harm them. It's just that she's experiencing an overwhelming amount of positiveness that will either come out in tears or a misplaced emotional desire for aggression. That's a distressing feeling, and it happens to Marie a lot. I do think I have it worse than a lot of other people do. If I had to rate myself, I'd be like an 11 out of 10 <laughs> on the cute aggression scale. Like, does it interfere with my everyday life? Maybe a little bit. Why do you think you have it worse than most people? I don't know if I have it worse. I mean, I definitely have it worse than you, you know? Wow, drag me. I've never had anyone be so confused by my cute aggression. Like, every time I say something, you're like, that's fucked up, dude. That's not true. I understand cute aggression. It is true. I fundamentally do not understand cute aggression. When I see a corgi on the street, I register its cuteness, and then I just keep walking. My hands relaxed by my side, jaw loose as a goose. So now I'm just wondering, what's going on in Marie's brain that makes her want to dropkick her cats? So I called up Dr. Oriana Aragon. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you doing? She is the person who, just seven years ago, published the first ever scientific paper on cute aggression. 
It hadn't been recognized in the literature, it had never been empirically investigated. And yes, I did think of the term cute aggression. It's a great phrase. (laughs) I didn't know it would take off like it did. I really didn't. She first noticed cute aggression a decade ago in 2012. She was watching Conan. The guest was this actress named Leslie Bibb. Oh, that baby's so cute, I just want to punch it in the face. As a grad student studying emotions and how people express them, Oriana had a million questions. Is this a special case? Does it only happen with cuteness? So she started studying cute aggression in the lab. She brought in volunteers. And I hopped them up on baby photos. (laughs) And then I, I know, it was actually really fun to run. She showed people photos of animal babies, human babies, human babies photoshopped to make them extra cute. Large foreheads, big eyes, small mouths, big cheeks. And then she measured how people responded with brain scans, questionnaires, and even bubble wrap. Like how many bubbles does a person pop when they see a computer manipulated super cute baby? And she's convinced that not only is cute aggression real, but it actually serves a useful function for people like Marie, who tend to get all can't breathe, can't think, conked out by cuteness. The people who were like, you know, I want to pinch it. Uh Those people come back down off that baby high, you know, faster than the people who didn't. Just having that aggression helps you come down off the baby high. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Baby high. People get ripped on baby. That is weird to me. And it gets even weirder. Oriana said that sometimes a baby high makes the brain produce another contradictory-seeming emotion, cute sadness. The corners of their mouth will go completely down and they'll go, oh. Oh, yeah. Like, they're like, like, so sad. Right. And even their forehead wrinkles, like, it was just like they just saw the most horrible thing in there. So if you snapshot that and you showed it to people and you say, what are they feeling? They're like, oh, they're overwhelmingly sad right now. It's like, no, they saw a cute baby. Okay, so at this point, I'm low-key spiraling because, like, duh, of course, I've seen people do cute sadness, even done it myself, but I didn't realize that it's supposed to be an involuntary reflex. I thought we were all doing it on purpose. You know, making a conscious choice to communicate. Yes, I see and acknowledge that your baby is, in fact, cute. Oriana's saying, no, no, no. For other people, it's happening involuntarily. Their brains are trying to emotionally regulate because they literally cannot function due to the cuteness. And even though it seems like cute aggression and cute sadness are just random levers that the brain is panic-pulling, Oriana thinks that each of them is actually signaling something distinct to whoever is observing. So imagine you're walking down the street with something conventionally cute, like, I don't know, a human baby, and someone comes up and smiles. I know that there's positivity within their smile. I know they're probably going to treat my baby well. And there's a really nice social signal. But cute aggression and cute sadness are better signals. Let's say someone comes up and they're all like, oh my God, I just want to pinch your baby's chubby little cheeks. That's giving extra information that you want to be extra sort of playful and rev that baby up. And they want to sort of roughhouse with my baby. Which maybe you're like, no thanks, it's not rev up time. It's actually nap time. But if someone comes up and they're like, oh, what a cute baby, 
in kind of a sad way, they like your baby too, but they're calmer and they're probably not going to mess up the nap. You just want to see it and sort of marinate in the cuteness. <laughs> and that's what our research shows. And so it might be the reason why it's been evolutionarily preserved because it's just a really good signal. The smile doesn't deliver the extra information of how you'll interact with the baby. The smile is actually the poker face in all of these instances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's giving less information. So cute aggression, says Oriana, it's a societal glue, a communication tool, one that I personally have no use for, which is why I was so shocked to learn that 60 fucking percent of the population experiences it. Statistically speaking, you, you sick freak listening to this right now, you probably do too. And Oriana was pretty surprised too. Once she started looking into it and poking around, she discovered that people all over the world had already named cute aggression in their own languages. In Indonesia, they say gamas. In the Philippines, they call it gigil. In Guatemala, they actually just call it the thing. Like, that puppy gives me the thing. It feels like I'm on this lonely island, surrounded by a turbulent sea of cute aggressors. And I like it here. I just think it's more relaxing this way. But it might not last. Because a couple weeks ago, something happened that made me realize that nobody, not even me, is totally immune to cute aggression. Let me explain. When I first started working on this story, I was talking about it with my editor, Damiano Marchetti. And like, cute aggression is very not Damiano. He's a fellow inhabitant on my island of composure. He's famously level-headed, even frustratingly so. Like, he's been described by colleagues of mine as possessing... Equanimity to the extent of, like, full dissociation. And serenity in the face of brewing conflict. I call him flowy Damiano. He's always just trying to smooth the waters, I feel. But a couple weeks ago, Damiano messaged me that he hasn't been able to stop thinking about our conversation about this story. Because at 32 years of age... Damiano has fallen prey to cute aggression. I asked him if I could interview him for this story. He said, and this is a direct quote, oh, hell no. Are you recording me? Mm-hmm. Okay. What? Ready? What do you want me to just talk? I'll ask, I'll ask you some questions. <laughs> um, well, I was, uh, here, I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you. It was just like, okay, you told me about the cute aggression thing. <sighs> I don't know. All of this is so humiliating. I don't know why, but I'm just like, oh, God. Uh... All right, I'll say it. Damian has been feeling a lot of cute aggression lately for his girlfriend. I'm not like an like an extremely like cutesy person. You know, like some couples are like baby way being everything. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's not me. But these last few weeks, it's like his insides have turned to mush and he's leaking love and tenderness from every single pore in his body. He's way past baby way being. And somehow, it's still not enough. There's like an itch you can't scratch. That's mm. what I feel like I have now. Okay. It's like the roof, like, you know when like the roof of your mouth is itchy? Mm-hmm. And like, I have to just like taking it, keep taking it to new extremes. Like this morning, I, I went up to her and I was like... You're just so fucking cute. Like, I just want to, like, I want to peel your skin like a banana. <laughs> and I want to, like, 
eat the insides like a like the flesh of a banana and i was like you're fucking weird and i say shits like that to her all the time that's evocative and i feel like something's wrong with my brain yeah it's called hormones see damiano's girlfriend is pregnant and he said that's the only thing he can think of that would have triggered these quite honestly deranged feelings on a scale of like one to peeling skin like a banana where were you on the cute aggression scale pre-pregnancy? I was like a two, man. I feel like her being pregnant has activated. Like she has released some like pheromone into the mm-hmm. environment that we live in that has just like turned me into a simpering, sloppy mess. My girlfriend like calls me a simp now. Like she's <laughs> like, you are a fucking simp. A simp for her or for your baby? <laughs> for her. For her. Okay. <laughs> I just follow her around the house. Like, I want to core you like an apple. Even though to me, all of this just sounds really exhausting, Damiano was like, well, it's not bad. It's kind of like when a 16-year-old is caught up in the turmoil of a debilitating crush. You feel like a teenager is what you're saying. A little bit. I think it's nice. I think any time that you get to feel like a teenager as an adult is great. It's great, right? And you should savor that for sure. Yeah. And as you, like, get older, your feelings just get, like, a lot more tempered and, like— the dark stuff is darker and the light stuff is less light, you know? Do you know what I mean? Can you embarrass yourself now? Because I've embarrassed myself. I would have chosen death over admitting this to Damiano in that moment. But listening to him describe those feelings made me a little jealous. Like, maybe I'm missing out on something great. Because I don't actually think his brain is malfunctioning. It just kind of seems like he's about to start an exciting new phase of life, and he's actually getting to indulge in every ounce of that excitement. And so maybe it's actually very beautiful and correct that Damiano is so overwhelmed by tenderness for the mother of his unborn child that he wants to, quote, crawl under her skin like a worm you get in the river and kill her. But in a cute way. (laughs) (laughs) After the break, more from the depths. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the show. Next up, producer Anna Foley with the Pittsburgh Toilet. If you've ever used a Pittsburgh toilet, and I mean this with 100% sincerity, you are brave. Because a Pittsburgh toilet is a toilet installed in the basement of a home that has no wall surrounding it, no door. It just sits completely exposed to the vast expanse of the basement. So say nature calls and you go to use your Pittsburgh toilet. You're sitting there and you're just trying to let nature run its course. And absolutely anybody, your mom, your cousin, your nosy neighbor who somehow has a key to your home can just open the door to your basement and see everything. I mean, come on now, it is not just my Southern prudery talking here. That is literally a nightmare. Why would anybody in their right mind choose to install one of these in their homes, let alone use it? I had never heard of this horrifying toilet until I came across the depths of Wikipedia entry for it, which was odd for me personally. My dad's whole family is from Pittsburgh. I used to visit there all the time. I know about Permanthes and the pierogi run at PNC Park and the horrible merge lane on Fort Pitt Bridge. So why have I never heard of the Pittsburgh toilet? Dad? Hello? Hey. Can you hear me? Come on, I can't, I can't, I can hear you. Come on, I can't see you. I, call, I called you FaceTime audio. I just, I FaceTime audioed you. That's crazy. It's not crazy. If you want to pick the least likely way to get a hold of me, that would be it. <laughs> I figured my dad, born and raised there, could tell me about the Pittsburgh toilet. But when I asked, did Uma and Papa have one in the house that I went to when I was a kid? No. And I never had one. Okay. Um, we had basements in, mm-hmm. in both of the houses that they had in Pittsburgh, and we never had one. Any basement that I can think of that I was in, uh-huh. in like high school and whatnot, there yeah. was no toilet. So I was a little bit surprised that it had a name. Uh-huh. And it was the name know, of the place you grew up and had never seen one before? I've never I've never heard anybody call a toilet in the basement a Pittsburgh toilet. I was not expecting that. Like, are Pittsburgh toilets more lore than reality at this point? So I decided to call the one person I know who might know Pittsburgh better than my dad. Hello? Hi, Joe. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Good. <laughs> my friend Joe from college. I tell him there's a thing that I need to ask him. In my life that I think could really help me understand this, which is um, oh, no. the Pittsburgh toilet. Let's go! <laughs> okay, okay, so you know what it is. I know what it is. What is your first memory of one? I want to say it was high school. Okay. It was high school and it was, it was, I can't recall the person's house, but it was, someone was having a party and there was a toilet there in the basement. And so, yeah, it was just, you know, wall to wall high schoolers and. And a toilet. 
and a toilet. No one was using it. Thank God. We, we all had the common decency among us to, that we knew that was the line we weren't going to cross. I guess I have to ask, though, have you ever used a Pittsburgh toilet? I have not. Uh, Every time I run into one, I'm with a group of people. Do I lose points? Am I penalized for that? Joe does lose points in this particular assignment. I think he scores a solid C. Like, yes, he helped me confirm that Pittsburgh toilets do exist to this day, but he can't speak to the experience of using one. So I asked Joe, is there anybody you know who might have a Pittsburgh toilet? Probably my brother's friend. His name is John Baylog. Okay. John, Joe told me, is what they call a yinzer. A lifelong, dyed-in-the-wool, never-missed-a-fish-fry during Lent in his life, lover of Pittsburgh. Did a couple of summers selling beers at PNC Park Ugh. during Pirates games. He's got a Turner's Tea sticker on the back of his car. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, Turner's Tea is uh, it's a local brand of iced tea made in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think in the past couple of years it started to be marketed as, uh, as Yinzer Fuel. <laughs> as a matter of fact. John was at home when I talked to him. His new home, actually. He just bought it from his grandma, and he was really excited about it. Before you bought it, can you mm-hmm. describe it for me? Like, what what did it look like? How did she decorate it? Kind of paint mm-hmm. me a picture. Um, well, luckily, I don't need to paint it because it still looks like it. <laughs> he showed me the living room, floor-to-ceiling fake wood. She has uh, panel walls. Uh-huh. Uh, Peak 80s. The kitchen backsplash that looked like it was painted like brick. So I'm thinking about what I'm going to do with all that. And then the basement. So I just walked down these stairs here. Okay. Pretty narrow. Um, very, <laughs> very steep. Yep. Um, it's it's unfinished. Uh-huh. Okay. Nothing's really ever been done to it. Here's the chimney that goes through the house. We actually used to, like, ride our bikes around this chimney growing up. Yeah. And there's the toilet, too. Oh, my God. There's the Pittsburgh toilet. (laughs) Oh, my God. The toilet was wedged in the corner of the basement, up against a cinder block wall right next to John's half-packed moving boxes. It was sitting on its own pedestal of poured concrete and directly faced the door to John's backyard. Honestly, aesthetically, it fit in. And you have toilet paper down there, too. Very dignified. Yeah, exactly. No, like, um, shower curtain or anything. I mean, back in the day, what people would do was, you know, they could park their car out in, out in that garage back there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they were a mill worker or whatnot. And I still do this. Mm. Um, like, if I am dirty outside, I will walk directly down into here and yeah. I can go to the flop sink and clean up. Yeah. Where I have, have a drain down here. Uh-huh. And I can go to the bathroom, too, um, without really having to go back upstairs or worrying, worrying about um, dirtying, you know, like, dirtying up my one toilet upstairs. So you've, if I'm dirty you've, or, you've used your Pittsburgh toilet. It's not, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, just absolutely. for show. <laughs> no, it is. No, 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 no. It is not for show. Definitely not for show. John does actually use his Pittsburgh toilet. He's fearless. But weirdly, the more I looked into it, I learned that Pittsburgh toilets weren't really meant to be used at all, at least not as actual toilets. They were installed as sort of an overflow valve to deal with fickle sewage systems. By having a toilet in the lowest part of your house, it meant that if there was a sewage overflow, it went to your basement, not into your nice have-company-over bathroom upstairs. Lots of cities all over the Northeast had them, but Pittsburgh is the place where these toilets stuck. 
It's the place where they grew from a plumbing solution to a legend. The one John just told me about. The one about the mill workers. I've also heard it about steel workers, coal miners, all of the people who, for a lot of Pittsburgh's history, were the lifeblood of the place. Those people, they've mostly disappeared. But in a lot of ways, Pittsburgh is still strangely frozen in time, more than anywhere else I've been in the U.S. Whenever my family goes up there, my dad takes us on a driving tour of his neighborhood. And it's sweet. I get to see everything the way that he saw it when he was a kid. His old street. The house that I grew up in. The elementary school I went to. His first job. Cool Springs Driving Range. (laughs) I didn't know you worked at a driving range. I worked at a driving range. What did you do? I picked up golf balls. I was too young to work at night. You just feel closer to history there. Whenever I'm always walking around going, oh, look, there's that and there's that and everything. That's where I grew up. (laughs) And you can see that history everywhere. Like, even in the toilet that's sitting all by itself in the middle of the basement. In its own way, it's beautiful. And now, Kim Nettervane Petersa with Guy Standing. So the post that I got interested in is about this page on Wikipedia for someone whose name is Guy Standing. First name Guy, last name Standing. And in 2014, the main picture on Guy's Wikipedia page was of him in a beige blazer, powder blue polo, and he is sitting in a chair. And someone saw this and decided to change the caption of his Wikipedia picture so that it says, Guy Standing, Sitting. A tiny joke, but big enough, apparently, to start a battle on his Wikipedia page. For seven years now, editors have removed the joke, saying it has no place here. And Vandals put it back, saying, yes, it does. A screenshot of the joke went viral, throwing way more fuel in the fire. I love it because it's like you're seeing the best of Wikipedia, this careful structure that makes this huge crowdsource encyclopedia work at all, except it's fritzing out on the silliest possible slice of it. Kind of like watching a Roomba get caught in the corner of the living room. Everyone seemed to have an opinion about the joke, except arguably the one person that actually mattered. Guy standing. I wanted to know what he thought of the joke. So I decided to reach out to him. But as soon as I sat down and went just the tiniest bit deeper on who he is, I know this sounds absurd, but I started feeling really nervous. Guy Standing, it turns out, is no joke. Guy Standing is probably the most serious man this could have possibly happened to. I'm Zanny Mittenbedos from The Economist. Uh, With me is Guy Standing. For many of you, Guy needs no introduction, but for those who don't know his work, Guy is one of the leading advocates for basic income worldwide. Guy Standing is 74 years old, a professor at a university in London, a senior official and consultant to the UN. Co-founder of the Basic Income Earth Network and leading expert in labor economics. But he's also, I think, uh, and forgive me, I think he's become the moral conscience or one of the moral consciences of the WEF. Guy is best known for this term he coined, the precariat, to describe the countless people who live on the edge of poverty. And he has spent his entire life trying to make their lives better. 
So yeah, I'm feeling pretty fucking sheepish when I send him that email and I tell him that I'd like to talk about his Wikipedia page, that I imagine he knows what I'm referring to. I am reaching right past all of the things that he cares about and reaching straight for the fluff. And Guy writes back and says he'll talk. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, I can. Okay. Clearly. Will you will you just introduce yourself? Um, yeah, kind of what's your name? Okay. I'm Guy Standing. I've been a professor of economics at various universities. And I many years ago founded the basic income Earth Network, where we've been piloting basic income, promoting basic income around the world. My main books are about uh, rentier capitalism, about the growth of the precariat as a new class in the world, and about economic insecurities that, that are multiplying. So that's a brief overview. So I find this stuff <laughs> really interesting, um, and I feel... Yeah, very kind of silly and, to be honest, a little embarrassed because of all of the very important work that you do. Uh, the thing that I reached out to you about is perhaps the dumbest thing on your very extensive Wikipedia page. I'm longing to hear what it is. <laughs> uh, I, I will tell you about it in a moment. Um, and so... Uh, I just want to ask, how how familiar are you with that page and with like the joke around it? Is it something that like takes up space in your life? I, I can honestly say I've never looked at it. Incredible. Incredible. I, I was told <laughs> by somebody that it exists. Okay. But I've never looked at okay. it. And uh, and I'm not going to do so after this conversation either. But but what is the joke? We'll we'll get into the joke, probably much more <laughs> than you want to. Um, so uh, essentially, okay, so the place that I want to start is that in 2016, a meme went viral, right? So a little, you know, screenshot of a part of your Wikipedia page, and it was of this joke. And I think what I want to do is uh, maybe tell you both what that screenshot is and then read you the discussion that happened on the talk page. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. And <laughs> what I would love to know by the end of it is whether or not you think that the joke should be there. My goodness. Okay, so the first time the joke shows up on your discussion page is in February of 2015. Someone makes a request to edit the caption of your profile picture, which is you reclining in some chairs at a conference, and they want the caption to say, guy standing, sitting. Mm -hmm. And it was rejected. Uh, and then a few years later, somebody says, reinstate the sitting photo. Humor in education is a well-known and endorsed method of increasing learning. And then they cite an article <laughs> from the American Psychological Association, that's the APA, to support them. Wow. And then somebody says, Wikipedia is meant to be formal and factual, not funny or opinionated. 
And then somebody says, yes, but it is factual. It's, in fact, more factual than the current revision because the man is, in fact, sitting. (laughs) And then somebody says, no, we don't caption the lead image on Stephen Hawking, quote, Hawking sitting in the 1980s because that would be stupid. And then somebody says, of course you don't because Stephen Hawking was pretty much always sitting. Guys standing, on the other hand, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the question that I have to ask you is, um, where do you stand on this? <laughs> My goodness. What a waste of people's time, I'd have thought. <laughs> it's sad. So so why, why do you say that? Well, I think one of the sad things about social media mm-hmm. and that goes to Wikipedia is how it superficializes connectivity and how trivializes uh, our use of time. Mm. And it plays, not in this particular case, or it's a joke that I don't think is particularly funny. It's a schoolboy level Mm -hmm. joke uh, uh, playing on your your name and playing games with that. I've had to put up with that all the whole of my life. You know, the funniest one is that when I make, make love to a woman, there's always a misunderstanding. Wait, 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 wait. That one I much prefer. Wait, 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 wait. No, if I make love to a young woman, right, there is a misunderstanding. Got it? Because a misunderstanding, you're playing on the word misunderstanding, you see. So a miss, a miss being... A woman. Oh, my God. Under. Oh, my God. You got it now? Yeah. You got it now. I mean, you know, I can. <laughs> and I, I mean... <laughs> okay. Now, I mean, that, that, that to me. An, an unmarried is, young is woman. Mildly amusing. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But but there are a lot of people who have far worse names than than mine for being teased. Um, I I just feel that. We are at a moment when all of us should be devoting as much time as possible to getting a better world. We're talking at, with the background of a disgusting war. And as it happens, we're talking on the same day that we've heard that the Supreme Court in the United States is going to throw out Roe versus Wade, which is a terrible step back. And that's what we're really concerned about. And and when you see Wikipedia, which is a commons, Mm -hmm. and you see that process being subject to trivialization, Mm -hmm. then I I find, you know, my humor is stretched, but uh, no, the joke is fine. Uh, I don't mind the joke if it amuses people. But, But I hope that in that, it draws people's attention to the serious messages that I've been trying to convey through my work. And if, if if it's a little aside that draws people to smile, that's great because we need a little humor in our lives, especially at this horrible time. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for humoring me on all of that. And the good thing is we're both smiling at the end of the discussion. <laughs> uh, so that's okay. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I, I would love to take also the time and the fact that we are here um, to talk about some of the ideas on your page. If there's one thing that you would want people to learn from stopping by your page for this kind of useless thing, what would that be? Without a doubt, I would want them to understand that a basic income as a right of every individual in every society is a realistic possibility. It should be a source of joy that we could find the means to make sure that every man, every woman, every child, each month can get a modest amount of income as a right with which to meet their basic needs. And I just hope that your generation, if you like, are going to take this up And if you can mix that with good humor, good company, good sex, good whatever else you want, then that's great. But we must must take a different approach. And, And that, I think, is the key message I want to give you and I want all of us to give to each other. Today's episode of Reply All was produced by me, Kim Nader-Fain-Peterson, Sonia Dasani, Anna Foley, and Fia Benin. It was edited by Tim Howard. This episode also wouldn't have happened without the rest of the Reply All team. Emmanuel Jochi, Alex Goldman, Damiana Marchetti, Lisa Wang, Bethel Habte, and Aaron Edwards. Our intern is Sam Gebauer. This episode was mixed by Sam Baer, with fact-checking by Isabel Christo, and music and sound design by Luke Williams. Additional music by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, Mariano Romano, and Tim Howard. Special thanks to Khalila Holt, Catherine Stavropoulos, Michelle Harris, Sadia Ali, Samantha Krabby, and the Wikipedia editor known as Formal Dude. Also, Damiano's baby is here. Welcome to the world, teeny tiny person. And thank you for listening.